This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. Uh, I'm excited because we are starting a new sermon series. Anybody excited about that? Yeah, it starts today. Everybody say happy. happy. Say it one more time. Happy. happy. Now, this is a great step, not just for our church, but also for me, because I'm highly allergic to kitty cats. So this was like a big moment for me. Like, when they, when they sent me this, I said, let's use it. Let's do it. And, and so this is, this is us overcoming together. But happy is, is the theme. And today we're going to talk about happy money. Oh, yeah. That never gets anybody excited. Everybody's like, uh-oh, lean on your wallet. Uh, and then next week, we're going to talk, happy mom. Come on, it's Mother's Day. Yeah. And then I'm excited. My friend, a church planter in Houston, Texas, will be with us. Um, he'll be speaking uh, that next Sunday on, on the, I believe it's the 15th. And then my pastor's wife will be here on the 20th, the Friday night, speaking to our ladies here at the Promise Center. And then speaking Sunday, we'll continue the sermon series. And we'll, we'll continue it all the way into summer. So it's going to be a great, great time. And I, I got to say this, a shout out to all of our small group hosts. I know you already stood, but we are so thankful for you. And I give you permission to go to everybody that you get to talk to everyone you can find and ask them, are you in a group? You ask them, you hunt them down, you ask whoever you see, you say, are you in a group? Because we want you to be a part of this semester's excitement, this learning, this conversation about faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Amen. So we're excited about that. So here's what I like to do. I like to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 5 and 22. Here's what we're going to do. Just at the onset, I'm just going to give you this kind of real big guarantee. And, and the guarantee kind of revolves around an event that took place this last week. This last week, I, I yelled across the house, which is never a good thing. Yelled across the house, said, honey, where's your keys? That's always kind of a, a fun, you know, thing to try to find each other's keys. So, so they're in my purse. So I said, where's your purse? And she said, it's with my stuff. Where's the stuff? And then it's down the garage. So down the garage. Awesome. So now I'm in the purse. And that was tougher than finding the stuff. And you can lose a finger in a purse. All right? So now I'm like, where's the key in the purse with the stuff? And so she's like, it's in this secret compartment on the right-hand side. And I finally just, I, I saw my wife. I said, babe, next time, here's what I need. I need, when I say, Where's the keys? I just, I need you to say, it's in the side pocket in the purse with the stuff down in the garage. She said, I'm going to work on that. So I'll tell you how that goes. But here's my guarantee today. I'm going to, I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it as it is. I want to just talk to you about this big idea. And this is not one of those, those, those sermons about money that's going to get you uncomfortable. I want to deal with kind of the heart of the issue. And I'm going to show you what this means here in Matthew chapter 5 and 22. And it says this, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you, if, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness 
is. Now, a lot of times people just chop that up and put that by themselves, and then they, and they get the next verse, and they kind of chop it up and then say, this is... So what we're going to see is this is one big thought. And this next verse says this, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one, love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot. You cannot. It is impossible. Jesus said it, so it is impossible. You cannot. And sometimes we're, we're dumb enough to think we can, but we cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. And what we find here is the chief competitor with God is not Satan. It's your stuff. Let me, let me, this, word, this word money in the Hebrew, Matthew's writing in the, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, not in the Greek. He's writing in the Hebrew. This word for money, actually, it's manna in the, in the King James Version. But it literally means more than just the legal tender, the coin. It means that, but more it means your stuff. So the only competitor for your devotion is not Satan. It's stuff. I want to talk about that today. I believe God's going to give us some happy money. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We worship you. We thank you for the right perspective. Give us insight, revelation, and wisdom according to your will. And we're going to celebrate today lives that are being changed proclamations of faith through water baptism. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Here's the question of the day. Who are you serving? Or what do you serve? This passage is very important because Jesus says, it all begins with the I. In fact, the I is kind of the most mentioned word in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, 7. He talks about the I over and over. He, ta- he deals with the, the notion of the eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He talks about if your eye, stum- eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Um, he talks about the God's eye is on the sparrow. He says if you have, uh, uh, someone has sawdust in their eye, but you have a, a big beam steaming, sticking out of your eye, deal with it. He deals with the eye over and over and over. And then he says this, he's, this big idea that the eye is the window of the soul. That, that it all begins here with our perception. Our perception changes our attitude, and our attitude creates the framework of how we perceive everything around us. Then he goes right into this big idea, this big notion about money. And he says you can't serve both. And I know that it's easy for you and I, we, we go, well, we got a handle on this because everyone here will think, well, you know, I'm not as bad as, you know, the guys at Enron, that, that greed stuff. There, there's worse people out there with worse greed issues. And of course, there's people with less. There's Mother Teresa and all these wonderful people that have done, you know, they, they've stripped themselves of greed. But the truth is, is that greed resides in every one of us, in every one of us. And in fact, it has become the plague of America. America, the number one Christian nation in the world, the number one Christian nation in the world has more money issues than any, than any other nation in the world. Here's what's happened. We have Americanized the gospel and we have spiritualized the American dream and sold an idea that money can make us happy. That stuff will make us happy. And it's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. Here's our issue. Is everyone's chasing the big win. Everyone's chasing the next big thing. And what it's done is it's over-leveraged our nation and over-leveraged some of you here getting into debt, reaching for things that we cannot 
afford. America is overworked. America is indebted with, uh, with taking on credit card debts. The richest uh, maneuver right now in America are those who are taking debt or loaning money. And now uh, $55 billion worth just of credit card fees alone is putting the weight on people. Well, what's the problem? Is it, the, is it, is it Wall Street? Is it, is, it, is it the credit card companies? Is it, is it the money system? What is it? it? It goes back to us. It goes back to the heart, and we have to find it, and we have to deal with it. First Timothy 6 and 10, watch this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's the root of all kinds of evils, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows, so many sorrows because they have this big idea, this notion that somehow the next thing is going to make me happy. It's going to bring me joy. And so now crime in America has finally tipped where the majority of crime is now built around money issues, embezzlement, burglary, robbery, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because everyone's looking, grabbing, searching for the next best thing. So here's the question I want to pose. How much more money do you need to be happy? What do you need to be happy? What's the next thing you need to be happy? Some people say, if I just can get that new thing, if I can just get that new car, you know, Steve, our next door neighbor, he got that new car, man, his truck is this big, my truck is this big, and there's, I gotta, I gotta catch up with him. And somehow we've been sold this idea that if we can get the next big thing, then we can find happiness. And this is what the scripture says. The scripture says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 10, those who love money will never have enough. Those who love money you will never have enough, you'll never get enough of it, and you'll never have one of those moments where you go, I've got it, I'm here, I have arrived. Because you'll never be able to fill that appetite where it goes away. You'll always be saying, I just got to get a little bit more. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Wealth does not bring true happiness. Does anybody here have any crazy family members? You got any people in your family? You go, they're just a little different. If you don't have anybody, then that means that you are that crazy person in the family. <laughs> That's what it means because every family has one. And if you don't know who they are, you are they. And I remember growing up and, and, and one of the we have the crazy uncle and, and aunt. They're the ones with all the stuff. And I'm trying to judge, like, going, well, I don't get it. Like, they got all the stuff. They got the boat. They got the skis. They got everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it did not bring happiness. It did not, could not, it will not ever bring happiness. Uh, there's a young man in, our, in my in-law's church down the Silicon Valley and he was a part of that dot-com boom, and he was making like, I think he said 10 grand every week, clearing 10 grand. He was living the life, had the cars, had everything he wanted, he thought. And then he lost it all, now lives in a one-bedroom apartment with a beautiful wife, beautiful baby, and rides a bike. He says, I'm happier now than I've ever been. <laughs> Stuff does not make you happy. And here's the bottom line. There are people who are rich who are happy. 
There's people who are poor who are happy. There are middle class, upper class, lower class people who are happy. There are rich people who are miserable. There are poor people who are miserable. There are upper class, middle class, lower class people who are miserable. So being rich or being poor does not make you happy or not happy. That's the other lie that's been sold. If I can just obtain, if I can just get the next best thing, then I will find happiness. Our happiness is found in the Lord Jesus. It is found in the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you this, going on, I was able at the age of 19 to go on a missions trip and it blew my mind to be able to go overseas and see people who made some a dollar a day, some $2 a day, some less than a dollar a day. And what I found was they were so happy and they had nothing. And it blows your mind because it came from in America where things make us happy. Stuff makes us happy. Things that we have is where we find our value. And these people had joy and they had happiness and they didn't have hardly any stuff. Stuff does not bring happiness. See, the thing with greed is greed's a hard thing to kind of detect because, again, everybody knows someone who's more greedy, and we know someone who's a little bit less greedy. And so we all feel like we're kind of in the middle. Nobody here would say, I'm rich. I'm a rich person. I'm a greedy rich person. But statistically, statistically, uh, in this room, we are in the top 1% of the world in incomes and earnings. If you you make $40,000 or more a year, then you are in the top 5% of the people in the world and their income. If you make $48,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. But we in our minds go, you know, there's, there's guys that are super wealthy. There's these super rich cats who drive, you know, drive the nice car, have the Hummer, have the Ferrari, have the, have the limo. Do they do limos anymore? I don't know. They have the, they have the, they have the boats. They, and so what we do is, is we stifle ourselves from dealing with greed because we know there's other people that are dealing with it. There's other people more greedy than us. And what happens is this mindset gets into the church and it gets into us and it stifles us from really seeing the blessing of the Lord in our lives and finding the joy of the Lord that comes from knowing him and not having stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff, but my source of strength comes from knowing him. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 9 says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Proverbs 15 and 16, I love this passage. Better to have little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. Just because you have stuff doesn't mean that you have peace within. You won't find peace with stuff. Because as easy as it came is as easy as it goes. You know this because you've seen this with yourself and you've seen it with your kids. My kids will beg for two months. We got to have this for Christmas. We got to have this for the birthday. And they want the ninja suit. And so they're talking about the ninja suit. And so the ninja suit's important. It's got to be the the black sword. You can't get the gray sword, Dad. It's got to be the black sword. And so by the time the birthday shows up and we get that, that ninja suit, we get it. He opens it up. He puts it on. He says, Dad, all the kids, they're doing pirates now. It's not ninjas anymore. And his, 
They've been begging. They've been looking. They've been waiting for it. But as soon as it comes, there's something else. You know they don't play with that toy more than a week. They've been begging for it for two months. They don't even play two weeks with it. It's a proclivity. It's in us. We, 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 we enjoy the chase. We enjoy the, the, the looking for it and asking for it and the wanting and searching eBay going, if they go down $20, that's mine. That, come on, somebody. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The Lord is reading your mail right now. You know, the amazing thing about, like, men, men, will, men will pay, we'll pay $2 for something that costs $1 if we need it. And women will pay a dollar for something that's $2 if it's on sale, even if they don't need it. That's just how the universe works. But I'm going to tell you, stuff won't make you happy. Luke chapter 12 and 15 says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. There's all kinds of greed. And some of it hides behind, well, I just love to work hard. Hello. Some of it hides behind, well, I, I just want my kids to have the best. And, 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 and sometimes it, it hides behind these, this different paraphernalia and, and, and these, these different shadows and these different cliches. And, and the issue is, is it's, we're running on greed. We're running on trying to measure up and find ourselves and who and what we are. And watch what it says. It says, life is not measured by how much you own. Your life is not measured by how much you own. Your life is not measured by the stuff that you have. Your character and who you are is not defined by how much money you have in the bank and what kind of car you drive. And there's nothing wrong with having a good car. There's nothing wrong with having a good house. There's nothing wrong with having good clothes. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not, we're, cha- we're not chasing that. That's not, that's not our modus operandi, our heart and passion. Because we have a decision to make. Am I making God my Lord or am I making money my Lord? And I'll tell you this. Money is a terrible master, but it's a great servant. Money is a terrible master, but it is an amazing servant. It's an amazing tool to do good and to see people see good days. Money, it does, we don't serve money, but money can serve us for the glory of the Lord. So the chief competitor of our devotion is not Satan. It's stuff. You got to choose. God, man, he could have said anything. God could have, you know, he could have said, God or the devil. God or lying. And you know, it's amazing because greed is one of those things where you know when you lie. Like, you know, you, you know if you rob a bank. No one, like, wakes up and goes, I didn't even realize I was robbing a bank. <laughs> it's one of those things, like, you know, like, you did it, you know you did it, you know? Like, I did wrong. But greed is like one of those sins where you can really kind of stuff it down and kind of disguise it with the American dream and kind of disguise it with, with ambition. And, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's a, a myriad of scriptures about being diligent and not being lazy. If you don't work, you don't eat. Come on, somebody. Turn to your children and say, come on, kids. And, uh, 
there's nothing wrong with investing and, and being wise and saving and not getting into debt and all that stuff. And I, this is not that class. This is not that moment. We're, not, we're in the garage, in the purse, looking for the keys. We're not anywhere else. We're, just, we're, we're talking about greed because this affects every one of us. Because every one of us, even though we know money doesn't make us happy, we don't live that way. Many of us live differently. Many of us are making decisions, looking for happiness, and you're never going to find it anywhere except in the Lord. We have to make Him our master. The assumption is, is that all of our money was made for our consumption. And so we become these professional consumers Consuming, 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 consuming. And again, this is not, I'm not, this is not the beat up the, the church Sunday. I, I, I want you to be free. And, and I'm, maybe I'm just talking to a few people here. But I want you to be free of this because this is one of those sneaky ones. This is the one that Adam and Eve got tricked up on. It wasn't lying. It, it, it wasn't, you know, holding up the bank. It, it, it wasn't any of that. It was reaching for something that God said wasn't theirs. It was not being content with what they had. All the trees, all the fruit, all the earth is yours. This is not yours. Don't touch it. And they stepped out of what God said, this is yours. And they began to reach for something that didn't belong to them. And this is the crux. This is the heart of, uh, of greed. That I want it. Well, why do you want it? I don't know. I think it will make me happy. Eve got the fruit and she goes, well, this, this is beautiful, able to make one wise, able to change my life, able to give me things I've never had before. And she eats it and what happens, her eyes are open and really her eyes became dark. Her eyes changed because something happening inside of her. There's a, a picture of a, the biosphere, we'll put it up real quick. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the biosphere in, in Arizona. It's uh, Arizona University. It's biosphere actually called number two or biodome. It was actually a movie made like 15 years ago. If you know that movie, come on, somebody. Or the poly. Anyways, anyways, we'll move on from that. A gentleman in this movie gets stuck in the biodome for like 90 days. I can't remember. But anyways, this has like... This is in Arizona, and it actually has like a desert, has a rainforest, all these different ecosystems. And, and everything was kind of working well for like a year when they opened it up almost now two decades ago. And everything was going well, and everyone was excited. And then all of a sudden, they started to realize the plants, the trees, aren't happy. It's not happy. Trees aren't doing well. They're not happy. You ever heard that saying about vegetation? It's not happy, right? And, and, and they, they, they bring in some professionals. You know, I don't, I don't know what that means. They, they pick up the dirt and my estimation, you know, like the, so the professionals come in and the professionals have no answer. They don't know. They're like, what's going on? I mean, the, the ecosystem's perfect. Everything's right. And it takes several months before another professional comes in and walks in. He stares. He looks. He takes a moment, and by this time, the tree, literally trees are falling over. They're becoming brittle. They're, become, they're just coming like, becoming like sawdust and just literally falling over one after another. And the man stops. He goes, do you feel that? And everyone says, no, we don't feel anything. He says, exactly. He says, there's no wind. And because there's no wind, these plants aren't happy. 
You see, these plants need a little bit of tension, moving them back and forth. If they're going to live, life is about tension, the push, the tension. And we bought into an idea that happiness is me being able to get rid of all of my tension. We want to live like the Jetsons. And nothing against the Jetsons. Is it Ruby? Was it, is it Ruby, the robot? The maid. The maid. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? Over medium perfect every morning. <laughs> Cup of coffee. I, I got to have more cream than that. It's, it's still too dark. Thank you, Ruby. And can you, effort, you're, you're, going, you're, fl- you're, you're, you're driving in your floating car to work and they shave you. I mean, <laughs> no more trouble. This is, this is more than the American dream. This is what we were created for, to have no tension. And yet it's been proven that it's the tension that keeps us alive. It's life that keeps us living. There is no place where everything comes into alignment and all the money issues and kids issues and friend issues and life issues and country issues and world issues just kind of go away. But there will be a day when that notion is sold to everybody saying, I got an answer. Because the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of this world says, let's make paradise. God drove us out of paradise. We'll make paradise and drive him out of it. Can I tell you, there is no peace outside of God. Can I tell you today, there is no peace outside of making him Lord of your life. There is no peace outside of submitting your life to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is where we find the joy of the Lord. So I'm going to give you really quickly three antidotes to greed. Three antidotes to greed. And I want you to know that this antidote is like, imagine me like Jason Bourne climbing up a hill, breaking into the science lab and getting the antidote for you. Well, just the romantic version of this. So now I've got the antidote. Do you want the antidote? Because we all are dealing with this thing called greed. Number one. You have to make the Lord your master. So you got to choose. I want to make him master. I want to serve him, and then I'm going to make my money serve me. I'm going to make my stuff serve me. Nothing wrong with stuff, but I don't serve the stuff. The stuff serves me. I don't live for the stuff. The stuff exists for me, not me for the stuff. I exist for God. I exist to honor him. I exist to serve him. Is this okay, everybody? I got, okay, I got a few crazy looks. I wasn't sure if what was happening. I just want to make sure we're all together in this. No tomatoes, because you probably can't afford them. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6 and 32. Here we go. For the... For the pagans, watch this, run after all these things. So Jesus is talking about how the Gentiles, the pagans, they want this and they want that. And their heart is just for stuff. He says they run for all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. God's not against blessing. But your perspective is wrong. Next verse, verse 33. But seek first 
his kingdom. What if we were just as passionate about seeking God and seeking his kingdom and having a right heart and knowing the Lord and being in relationship as we were seeking stuff of this world? Amen. Amen. There's nothing wrong with working overtime, trying to make a little extra money, do that vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if with the same veracity and velocity and passion we were to seek God that same way? I'm going to go overtime because I want God. I, I, I wanna, I'm going to go overtime seeking the Lord. Can, can you imagine that same passion? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given. God has a way of bringing blessing into your life because God can bless you with stuff if it's not an idol. God doesn't set up idols in front of people, but he blesses people when, he, when we seek him. Number two, Proverbs chapter 10 and 22, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and adds no sorrow. When we do it God's way, God brings blessing and there's no sorrow attached to it. Okay, number two, contentment. Everyone say contentment. This is the antidote to greed. Contentment. Say it strong. Contentment. Very good. It says this, Philippians chapter 4 and 11. I am not saying this because I'm in need. So what, what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 and 11, we're going to put it up on the screen. He sa- he's saying this. I'm not saying this because I'm about to take an offering. I'm not preaching happy money because we're about to do a bait and switch. He says, I'm just, I want to talk to you about a heart issue. He says, for I have learned. Everybody say learn. Man, man you got you to learn this. This is important because you're going to have those days where, where, where you go, you know what? It wasn't worth it. I chased after it. I, I got it. I won on eBay. You were happy, but you were kind of sad because you got to explain it to your wife that you won the treasure chest on eBay and... And you got it, and it's like, it, it, it's not making me happy. He says, I've had to learn to be content in whatever circumstances. In whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to, be, to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. And in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me grace. Yeah. You know, see, that verse is quoted a lot, but it's quoted so out of context most of the time. You know, make a touchdown. Or beat the other guys. You know, we're going to, the Lord gives me strength. The, the strength of the Lord that that verse is talking about is the strength that what in whatever context you're in. And whatever context you're in today, God can give you strength and God can give you grace. To the grace to be able to overcome the days of not enough. And the days to overcome the days of more than enough. Because there's going to be days in your life of not enough. How many has ever been there before? Come on, somebody. You're, you're not telling the truth that those hands aren't raising. Amen. We've all been there. We've all been there. The days of not enough. And it's important to know his grace covers that. And I'm not trying to get myself out of saying, i gotta, I got to live like this. I'm content. Thank you, Lord. We, we can be blessed here. We can raise a family like this because the family's more valuable. The relationships are more valuable than having stuff. But then I can also be blessed in my days of more than enough where I've postured my life and created margin and got out of debt 
And I know this is not one of those debt sermons, but I'm, I'm telling you, this summer we're going to put together a weekend. We're going to announce it very soon. A weekend and a Saturday where you could come in with all your bills and we're going to help create budget and we're going to help create margin in your life and get a plan. you got to have that because if the Lord's your master, then he's asking you to master these areas of your life. You've been called to master them, not for them to master you because money is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. Amen. So whatever situation, I can do all things through Christ. Watch this, 1 Timothy 6 and 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness with contentment. You want to be wealthy? You want to know to have a life of wealth and fullness? It's not the stuff. It's godliness with contentment. There's no place like it. There's no peace like it. When you go, this stuff doesn't control me. Because when your peace is found in stuff, when the stuff is taken away, when the bank comes to repossess it, when it breaks down because of the laws of entropy, it gets old and rusts and breaks down, where's your peace? It's in stuff. What would you rather have as your master? Would you rather have the Lord, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, or stuff that will be old in six months? It'll be outdated in three months. There'll be something bigger and better and newer in one month. I thought I was so cool when I got my new iPhone. And I was like, look at this. And then someone's like a month later is like, no, look at this. And I was like, put my phone away. You win. You know what I mean? So contentment. Hebrews 13 and 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Come on, that's a good promise right there. All right, number three, the third antidote. We make him Lord, contentment, and number three, generosity. Everybody say generosity. Proverbs chapter 11 and 24, the world of the generous gets larger and larger the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Amen. The Bible says it's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? I love food miracles in the Bible. Sometimes I just read them for fun. Read them for a good meal. Food miracles are the best. And Jesus, there's like 5,000 men, not including women and children. You could say... 10, 15, possibly 1,000 people hungry, and all they have is five loaves, two fish. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come in big, and he's going to be like, multiply, multiply, multiply. And everyone's going to be just, you know, you know, you get, a, you get fish, and you get, Oprah, you know, you get a fish, and you get bread, and everyone's like. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus has five loaves, two fish. He breaks it, blesses it, and then gives it to his disciples. So, you know, five loaves, two fish, that means that each disciple, the 12, had one-sixth of a fish, less than half of a piece of bread. So what Jesus had, now they have even less of. We want Jesus to multiply into us so we can share it with the world. 
you'll just multiply it into me, share it with the world. He says, how about I give you a little bit, see what you do with it. Like, this ain't going to feed nobody. Everybody's hungry. We've been here for a long time. And so they break a little piece and give it and look back. Oh, that's weird. Well, piece, look back. Did I just rip this thing three times and it's... They keep giving. They keep giving. And they feed 5,000 men, not including women and children. Because the multiplication, the miracle is not in the coming into you. It's in the outgo. It's in the outgo. See, the miracles that are going to happen in your life is when God positions you, put something in your hand. He gave you talents. He gave you gifts. He gave you insights. He gave you revelations. He gave you resources, whatever that means. That could be money. That could be ideas. That could be anything. He puts those in your hands, but it's going to go stale if it stays in your hand. But if you start sharing it, the life of the generous grows bigger and bigger, but the stingy, when you consume, gets smaller and smaller. And what happens is God puts stuff in our hands and we end up closing our hand going, I want that. Could you imagine? You'd make a great cartoon like the, all the disciples getting their food and going like, this is ours. You know, and they're just eating. Can you imagine like, hey, wh- what'd you guys just do? You're supposed to give that out. No, Jesus, like one sixth of a piece of fish. That's not, I mean, I'm still hungry, man. But they're willing to give what they received and God multiply it on the out. Amen. Bible says this, Proverbs 11 and 24. I'm closing here in a moment. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but becomes or comes to poverty. Here's what happens. When we become consumers of stuff, the spirit of poverty comes upon us. The only way to break poverty is to give generously. That's why serving is so powerful. When we serve one another, the Bible says when we're together, it washes us from all sins. The accountability keeps us intact. It keeps us alive. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us moving. It keeps blessing flowing. It keeps revelation flowing when we serve together, when we give generously. You know, there's a family. I don't know if they're in here, but they are serving today. The Naps. Are the Naps in here don't see them. Okay, they're probably come to the third service. They're out there. Just real quick, I want to brag on this amazing family. They have postured their life. They have they saved, they worked hard, they postured their life to live on 50 to 60% of their income. To be able to now in their years of retirement to go three, four, five, sometimes six times a year, sometimes spending half the year or more than half the year overseas doing missions and good work. They postured their life. They created margin in their life. They could have done this. They could have done that. They could have had that. They said, you know what? We want the life of generosity. We want the life of generosity. So we're going to create margin to be able to have a life of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 and 7. I'm closing. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. There's a grace for giving. There's a grace for benevolence. There's a grace for giving, being a giver, seeing your neighbor, seeing the weak, seeing the need, and saying, I want to give because it's in my giving. I break the stuff on my own life. Would you stand with me?
In just a moment, we got some baptisms. So excited. Amen. We're going to just take a moment as our musicians come and as we prepare. I wonder if right where you are, you could just open your heart, close your eyes, and lift your hands with us for a moment. We're going to take a moment just to let this word fall into good ground. I want to make you my Lord. Putting you in the right place changes everything. Learning to be content changes everything. A life of generosity changes everything. Changes everything. Changes everything. So if you're here today and maybe... Maybe there's things that you've been reaching for, chasing after. And you've realized today, those aren't going to bring happiness. The only thing and the only one who can bring that true peace and joy is our Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Jesus today. Today, if you will make him your Lord, then he'll give you the strength to lord over the mammon the rest of your life, to be a steward, to lead strong, to have wisdom in and wisdom with. But today, it starts by saying, you are my Lord. Amen. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. Would you, just, would you just close your eyes all across this place? Nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you want to for the first time, for the first time say, Jesus, I, I want to make you my Lord. I just want to, I just want to make you my Lord. I, I'm ready to just to say it's been tough and I've been doing it my way for a long time and I get it it's not bringing me happiness it's not making sense it's not working it hasn't worked and you're ready to just make that proclamation nobody's looking it's just you and the Lord right now would you just raise your hand would you raise your hand boldly and say today's my day today's my day today's my day today's my day I've been serving the wrong master I've been serving the wrong things Jesus said, he said, take up my yoke, it's light. Take up my burden, it's light. I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace. Can we just all lift our hands to heaven right now? Lord, we thank you for those who have lifted their hand and and made that proclamation today. We thank you, Lord, for those who are making a first step of realizing that the only peace that we're going to have is the peace that we find in you. It's the only peace that we will ever have. It's the only peace we'll ever have. It's the only peace we'll ever have. So Lord, across this place, let your spirit comfort us. Let your spirit speak to us today. Anoint us today. Heal our hearts today. Holy Spirit, we're taking a moment. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Help us to see the light. Help us to see through the eyes of the light, through your spirit. Help us to see. Help us to see. Help us to see. Help us to see. 
help us to see. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.